welcome to today's episode of TapCast. I'm your host, Chloe Wurzidiak. In today's episode, we get teaching tips from Darcy Searles. At the time of the recording, Darcy was a PhD candidate in communication. When the recording is released, she will be officially Dr. Darcy Searles. Throughout the episode, Darcy shares with us tips on teaching. We discuss what the first day of class looks like and how to start off a strong semester. We look at some of the policies she includes on her syllabus, and she tells us a little bit more about the philosophies behind them and the effect they have on students. We have a conversation about participation in class. Is it important and how do you measure it? Finally, she shares some advice for new TAs before she leaves Rutgers on her new adventure. Let's get started. background and since you're now graduating tell us about the position that you'll be starting soon. Um, My background is in education so I did my undergrad at Boston University and I studied Hispanic language and literature as well as um, Spanish education. So I wanted to be a teacher from the very beginning. I got my master's at Teachers College at Columbia in ESL and applied linguistics because you get paid more as a teacher when you get your master's And then I fell in love with research and teaching at the undergraduate level, and that's what sort of got me to Rutgers. Um, When I leave Rutgers, I'll be graduating, I guess, in October. I have accepted a postdoctoral teaching associate position at Northeastern in Boston, and I'll be teaching three courses each semester for them there. And it's a position that's renewable up to three years, which is great because that gives me an opportunity to more leisurely go on the job market as, as things go on for a more permanent position. So how do you typically start your first day of class? On the first day of class, I usually start off with an about me section. I put up slides with sort of goofy pictures about me and where I went to school and things that I like to study and do in my free time. Um, and then I usually do a syllabus quiz. So I have them go through the syllabus in teams and ask them to fill out a little quiz about all the content of the syllabus. Um, So that way they get all the content and learn what's expected of them without me having to read it out loud. And they also have to talk to each other on the first day of class, which I find is sometimes hard to to get them to do. Um, So that's that's one of the things I usually do on the first day in, in any size class. Do the students know ahead of time that this is coming, um, or is it you walk in the class, here's your syllabus, here's the quiz? It's it's a you know open syllabus quiz, so right. they can look at it. They don't know that it's coming, and it's not necessarily a quiz in that I grade them on it, but okay. it's something that they have and sort of um, a contract between us that's not necessarily written, but I know that they've seen it. I know that they have at least seen and heard the answers to all the questions. And it also affords them the opportunity to ask questions about what they've read and clarify anything that they sort of don't understand about the syllabus. So I like to use it as sort of an opening point for what the class is about, what I'm there for, what my expectations are of them, and that's all sort of laid out on the first day. Do you have a technology policy in your course? And if so, what is it? (laughs) So I don't have a written technology policy. It's not anything on my syllabus or anything like that. Um, but it's something I do discuss on the first day. I Either on the first day or the second day of class, I have them read. I have a couple articles that I use that I go between, like a popular press article, either from the New York Times or something like that, about the benefits of writing your notes by hand. So I have them read it. 
usually in class. I have we discuss it, um, and so I sort of make it apparent that I think that handwriting will help them and sort of make the case for that. But if they want to take notes on a laptop, I make it clear that they can. I suggest that if they do that, perhaps to sit on the side of the classroom. That way they're not distracting people behind them who might see them doing things that are maybe not academically related. <laughs> um, and that, that that's actually been really helpful. I had a couple students last semester who sort of sat in the back together, and they were taking notes, as far as I can tell, and they weren't really showing anyone. Like, there was, they weren't distracting anyone else, so I think that that's helpful. Um, and as far as, like, phones and things like that, I don't have a policy. I If... I see a student that's on a phone, I just go stand next to them really awkwardly, and that's usually enough to make them put it away. That's something I learned when I was, like, teaching middle schoolers. Like, people don't like you to be that close to them, so if you go stand right next to them, that's a way to make them get off the phone. Obviously, you know, that depends on the classroom that you have. You can't go into, like, the middle of a big aisle in a lecture hall, but in smaller classes, I found that it's pretty effective. That's great. <laughs> So in your statement of teaching, you mentioned that at the beginning of the semester, you pull your students to assess their interests, learning preferences and difficulties, and time constraints. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so this questionnaire looks a little bit different depending on if I'm teaching in the summer or the fall, because I think in the summer, students' time constraints are, are very varied, and I want to know about that before assigning group projects and things like that. Um, but it's typically just a questionnaire that I hand out on the first day of class um, and ask them to give it back to me before they leave. It has a couple questions about sort of their background, why they're taking the course, learning styles. And at the bottom, I have just, um, do you have anything else that you think I should know? Um, and students there um, have disclosed really personal and private information to me that has actually been really helpful. So things like topics that I should avoid, things like eating disorders, Maybe they have a family member who's sick. Um, they sometimes will disclose the fact that they failed the class before and are taking it again. So just things that sort of help me know a little bit about them. And it's written so it's less sort of confrontational and less scary for them, I think. And so I use that then, both that sort of more personal information as well as their preferences. If I have a lot of students who are interested in a certain topic, I'll beef that up in the syllabus, for example. If I have a lot of students who say they really like a certain type of um, or they have a certain type of learning style, I'll try and like gauge the class a little bit more towards that. So I find it really useful to, to get to know them a little bit more. So how detailed do you plan your course before the semester starts? Because it sounds like you adjust a little bit based on this beginning poll. Yeah. So on my syllabus, I have the course schedule, and it says mm -hmm. subject to change, okay. I'm sure most of us uh -huh. have. Yep. Um, so I do have sort of a set layout before the semester, but I don't really plan until each week because things do change. And sometimes things take longer and sometimes they don't. And that really depends on whether I'm teaching the class for the first time or not. If it's the first time, I'll try and do a little bit more prep beforehand. But if not, I'll just take what I have and either expand it or minimize it based on the class, how fast we're going, snow days. Mm -hmm. I like to make it more fluid, and students typically respond well to that, and I'll update the syllabus as needed throughout the class. But I think if you make it too strict, you're sort of bound to that, and I, and I, don't, like, I don't like doing that. <laughs> so in the syllabus that you sent me um, for a particular course, Communication and Relationships, you included a statement that told students that if they have a particular goal for their grade in the class, they should talk to you about it 
um, at the beginning of the course. Um, and it's, it's bold and italicized, so clearly you think it's important. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your inspiration for including that statement and why it's so important? So I have to give credit to my advisor here. She puts this in every class that she teaches, and so I adopted that from her, Jenny Mandelbaum, in the comm department. <laughs> um, and she's used it as sort of a disclaimer, like she wants to know what students want to get in the class. And I think she also puts it there so that students will come see her if they have that goal. And in my experience, they they really do. So at the out, like that's something that's in the syllabus quiz. I sort of make that clear. It's bold and italicized. Right. Hopefully, they should see it. Yeah. Um, but typically, after the first class, I'll get a couple of students, handful, maybe five, ten, who come up and say either like they need an A or they need a C. I typically get those students. So the ones who want to keep an A so they can maintain their 4.0, and those who maybe failed the class and need a C or need a C to keep their GPA at a certain level. Um, and I think that that's really helpful for managing expectations. I, I sort of jumped to your next question. No, it's OK. <laughs> um, but if I know what goals they have, and like that's something that we both know, I find that I can help manage those expectations. So if a student wants an A, but they get like a C on the first assignment, I might reach out to them and say, hey, like, so your grade's not quite up to what we had talked about you wanting in this class. Like, are there things that maybe we can do to improve that? Maybe you can come to office hours. And it just sort of has that dialogue because if I don't know what they want in the class, how do I know whether to reach out to them? I can't reach out to every student and say, oh, you don't have an A. Like, right. that's not how a class can work. But if I know a couple of students who feel really strongly about where they want to be, um, it, it leaves it open for dialogue, which I found has been really helpful. So you also tell students in your syllabus that they should allow for a 24-hour reply time for emails and 48 hours on the weekends. How have they responded to that? I've actually never had any student complaints or okay. concerns or anything about this, which is really surprising. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, I would think that they – I put it there because um, I don't like to be as available as I think some instructors are. Okay, yeah. Um, but I haven't had complaints yet. Okay. <laughs> Have you found that amount of time to be an appropriate window? Have there been any times where you feel like that just isn't enough time to respond to emails and keep up with your all your other duties as a grad student? Um, so I think it's generally worked so far. I tend to be very strict with myself in terms of teaching days and like research days or writing days. Um, so the way I actually plan my courses is around those days. So I don't have assignments due on class days. I have them kind of due after class, either like the next day or maybe two days after class, depending on the schedule, so that I can respond to students' questions about assignments on teaching days. So I really try and do all of my, if it's a Tuesday, Thursday, I do most of my email for students on Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Wednesday, same thing. And I don't have assignments due like on Mondays because then I'd have to respond to them on the weekend and I don't want to, have to do that. <laughs> I'm very protective of my time. Absolutely. Um, so. And I, I make that clear in the beginning of the semester. I say, if you email me at like 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, you'll probably get a reply on Monday, right? You don't, don't expect it right away. And I do sort of do email a little bit later on Friday night to sort of account for that and not being as available on the weekend. It works for me, but everyone kind of has to figure out what works best for yeah, them. Absolutely. It is kind of hard to avoid those emails when you see them sitting there. Like, yeah. I do have that urge sometimes, and I will sometimes respond, but I try as much as... I can to, you know, ignore those and maybe not even open up my Rutgers email on certain days to just avoid it. 
Most instructors agree that students participa student participation is an important part of the learning process. So can you tell us a bit about what your participation policies look like and how you enforce them? Yeah. Um, I do typically teach smaller classes, so about 30 students. Um, and what I've used is something that Jen Tice in the School of Communication has used, and it's called the Participation Grading Sheet. And it sounds a little crazy, but it I think it works. I found that it works. Um, basically, each student after each class or each week, if it's a um, twice a week class, has to rate their participation for that week or that class. So they write their score out of five. They explain what they did to earn that score or why they only earned a three or whatever it is. Um, and then they hand them in each week. And I look at their comments and the grade they gave themselves, and I give them sort of like a final grade for each week. Um, it is kind of a lot of paperwork and back and forth. It's an easy way for me to see who's in class without taking attendance. Because ah. if I don't have their sheet, they were not there. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and students are really, like, responsible for them. I print them out in really bright paper. And they, like, know, like, oh, I didn't hand them a participation grading sheet. Um, and I do have, like, a rubric for, like, a five is if you come to class and – you're actively engaged both in small group and whole class discussion. But you can get a three if you're there and you just do small group discussion, for example. If you're late, you can only get a four. You lose a point for being late or having to leave early because you're not there the whole class period. Of course. Um, and then I give them leniency for, like, being sick and things like that, of course. Um, so they're, they care about their grades because they can see it, right? Every point there is, like, an actual point on their final grade. Um, so for the students who really want the A, it's an easy way for them to participate in class, and they do. For those who are a little bit um, reluctant to participate in class, um, I can still give them points for being there. And, you know, it's a way for me to not sort of fudge things at the end of the semester. They can see, like, this is what you earned. This is how much you participated. Um, so I, I, I do appreciate that because it's not a question of sort of fudging the grade at the end of the semester, which I, I know some people do, and that might work for them. But for me, I feel like I'd want to give everyone an A when <laughs> maybe not everyone is earning an A of course, yeah. in terms of the participation. How much of the final grade does participation usually come into account? Is it a, is it a big chunk? Is it no, it's usually 10%. So okay. it's really not a lot. But for them, they see these points coming up and they're points that they're either getting or not getting. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it's not a huge chunk, especially in sort of the more introductory classes. So what do you do if, despite this uh, setup, yeah. students are not participating either because they aren't prepared or just for some other reason they're hesitant? Yeah. Um, so I do sometimes cold call students. Okay. I don't do it often, but sometimes I do if I notice someone is either like really totally checked out. Um, I don't often do it in whole class, but if I'm doing small group discussions, I'll make sure I walk over to that student and just sort of hear from them a little bit that class, even if it's just sort of one-on-one, -on -one, because I think, especially in a class called Communication and Relationships, the one I teach the most, it's all about interpersonal interaction, so they need to be practicing that even if they're scared. Um, and another thing is, in the actual particip participation grading sheets, I give them little feedback and little notes. So things like, it was great to hear from you today, or like, great comment on whatever, or I'd like to hear more from you or haven't seen you in a lot, little while, things like that. So there is a little bit of dialogue there. Um, I did have one student who was an international student doing a study abroad exchange thing. And she was from Spain and very nervous about speaking in English 
in front of the class. And she made that like very clear the first week of class. But we had this like great little dialogue on the participation grading sheet where she would say, like I said one thing today, I'm so proud. And like I would say, you know, that was a great contribution. And then she started off not talking at all. And at the end of class was one of the most participatory participatory students in class. That's amazing. So I think that was just the dialogue that we could have of her letting me know I'm too afraid mm-hmm. and then me sort of giving her little mini feedback along the way. She she seemed very appreciative of it and like it was great to see her progress throughout the class and her confidence and her ability to sort of talk with her peers. That's great. So, yeah. One success story. Obviously not every student is like that, but it has been helpful for some. That's great. <laughs> What is one piece of advice that you have for new TAs? Talk to other people who have TA'd the course that you're teaching. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you're a standalone TA, for the first time I would say attend all the TAP projects and things like that, all the workshops, because they're so helpful if you've never, ever taught before. Um, If you're TAing for a course with, like, other other TAs where there's a main instructor, talk with people who have TA'd them for that person in the past, because then you can see – you know, when are the busy times, sort of what are their expectations before even meeting them. I think it's helpful to just kind of have an idea of what you could possibly expect because teaching for different professors can be very different experiences <laughs> depending on who you're with in terms of workload and sort of do they want you in class, do they not? And all of these things will sort of um, help you in terms of managing your expectations if you can sort of figure out what is typical. Um, and then also figure out how to plan your research time and your teaching time because we're all here getting our PhDs. Um, so we do want to research and that's really important too. So I am very structured in terms of the days. Like I said before, I have my teaching days and my research days. Other people have totally different strategies. They like write all morning and then teach in the afternoon. I, I couldn't do that. But I think figure out what works for you and then make sure you stick with it because it's so easy. I love teaching. It's so easy to get stuck, sucked into the course prep and making your lecture the best possible lecture and finding the best possible videos and, like, making sure you have given them great feedback. But um, I try and say, okay, this is my day, and if I don't finish it, then this will be a good enough lecture, and that's okay. Maybe my next one will be the best. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say is the most important thing you've learned since you started teaching? Not to underestimate your students. Okay. I think – One thing I do, the course I teach is typically is communication and relationships, an introductory course. So there's a lot of different topics, and some of them I don't like. And so sometimes I sort of dread teaching those topics because either I don't know as much about them or I think the students won't like it. And so I think having a more open mind is really helpful, and I've sort of had to catch myself and try to be more open-minded because sometimes the topic you think your students are going to hate because maybe it's like theory and a little bit outdated or a little bit tough, they end up really liking it. You can have a really great conversation. So I think just thinking that they're going to hate it doesn't help you a lot of the time. (laughs) My thanks again to today's guest, Darcy Searles. Any resources mentioned in this episode will be included in our show notes, which are on our blog at tapruckers.wordpress.com. Also on our blog, we have a new series of posts where TAs share their experiences using active learning in the college classroom. To stay up to date on the latest TA project news, follow us on Facebook or Twitter. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing with a friend. Until next time, thanks for listening.